Get up in the morning and slave for bread, sir, so that every mouth can be fed for me, the Israelites. Get up in the morning and slave for bread, sir, so that every mouth can be fed for me, the Israelites. My wife and my kids, they packed up and leave me. Darling, she said, I was your vicin on me, the Israelites. That's another thing you don't have anymore. Songs about uh, ancient slavery. When was the last time we had a song about the Israelites, uh, Neo-Assyrians, Babylonians? You don't have any songs about creatures. You don't have any songs about historical battles or uh, ancient civilizations. It's all just about Satan these days. Damn shame. Oh, the Israelites. There we go. Put that in there. Shit, the matter of trousers is gone. I don't want to end up like Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, me, the Israelites. Everybody watch the dang big game. The big game. Legally forbidden from calling it the Super Bowl. Oh, shit, I just did it. They're going to come and get me now. I did it. I called it the Super Bowl. Ah, oh, no. You're going to get a red dot appearing on my forehead if I keep saying that. I'm going to get fucking wig split. Where is Michael Keaton going to be, uh, that guy? When, when are they making him Batman again? I thought he was going to be Batman in that Batgirl movie that they canceled. It's very funny how Philadelphia has become this like epic city. You know, People think it's epic and there's a romantic patina around it, and a lot of the people who fetishize Philadelphia uh, are politically on the left, but the thing that they really are fetishizing about Philadelphia is that it has still a white working class who lives there. Like, that's what contributes to that whole, like, always sunny, roughhouse atmosphere that they feel like, you know, as generally white suburbanites, that they can access and the only reason that that is the case is because Frank Rizzo and his uh, fucking northern George Wallaceites uh, prevented the sort of white flight that happened in other cities. So these guys all want to tear down the Rizzo statue, but he's the reason that they all think Philly is so cool. All of the uh, contradictions of our age, unbundleable. You get to pick a bundle of contradictions and then live suppressing them rather than ever unwinding them because of uh, the futility of action. It's kind of a kind of a real boner, a real owner. Uh, one thing that really hit me watching the, the Super Bowl was the end racism sign at the uh, in the end zone. Like you're basically having a largely white audience. Uh, pay billions of dollars to white owners to watch large, mostly black people take years off their life in football games. Like that's the reality of football, uh, and that is ending racism. Again, you gotta love it. Bundle of contradictions, delightful. So apparently, all the trains are derailing now. It's happening. It's happening, Ron Paul. We got. Two more derailments happening today. One in Texas, I think. Uh, and it's uh, it's nutty, folks. It's It's got some nuts on it. And, of course, the only answer for something like this, the only way to make sense of it, is to turn it into some sort of conspiracy, right? Oh, they're, they're trying to demoralize us or destroy the water supply or whatever uh, simply because that explanation includes a cast of villains responsible who are taking what should be done 
and uh, and preventing that from happening, preventing us from doing what our systems uh, are designed to do, which is you know prevent not have our trains derail and cause giant plumes of poisonous acid to fill the air and poison huge swaths of America. The system's not supposed to do that, so therefore it has to be a nefarious plot. Of course, the reality is, no, this is what the system is precisely designed to do. Uh, when, uh, when the barriers to profit maximization are dissolved in the acid of, uh, of post-70s capitalism, all that's left is the prerogative to grasp short-term profit wherever it can be found. Uh, and that means not doing the sort of basic infrastructural upkeep and safety uh, maintenance that would have been assumed in previous generations. This is the system working as intended. But... If that is the case, then there's no one really to hold on responsibility for it. There is no one to vote out. There is no uh, plan of action that does not mean going to war with the structures of the economy, the structures of government. And no one, no matter how radical they argue, claim to be, uh, who represents uh, any manifestation of mainstream politics can realistically uh, promote that or uh, promise it because the structures to uh, the, the political structures we have cannot harness energies towards anything other than the acceleration of all of these trends. And the way you can see that is everybody who is talking about this, including elected officials at every level of government, is only talking about no one is talking about it. Because the assumption, the implicit assumption here in everything really, is that there is a level at which public attention on a subject will turn into action, will create a, a moment of uh, uh, tipping point where we, we, we all of a sudden things are changed. But that's not going to happen because the talking is what we do. All we can do is talk. I'm, so look at me. What am I doing right now? I'm sitting here drinking my damn bubbly water talking into my fucking computer. Because what the hell else am I going to do? What are any of us going to do? Except keep talking and then hope that enough people somewhere else hear it and do something about it. But, you know, I still i am not a doomer no matter what because eventually people have to act out of necessity. And necessity cuts through uh, this miasma. Uh, but that, of course, is also very terrifying because it means abandoning all of the uh, comforting layers of uh, responsibility and, and authority that we depend on. But, you know, it's, it's we got to take care of each other. I know that's stupid. And it's certainly dumb coming from me, who is one of the most selfish pieces of crap to ever live. The conspiracy angle, though, is very interesting. The, the fixation on having a narrative uh, because as we've talked about tons of times, and I've talked about here on the show everywhere, like 
conspiracy stuff obviously is part and parcel of the governance that we have. There is a deep state. There are structures that are not accountable, that are not seen uh, in the daylight, and that have a uh, influential force on the flow of events. Um, but there's a belief, a very widespread belief, that drilling in and narrativizing that that contribution to the shape of the world that we find ourselves in will have that revelatory impact. Like, if people just knew. But again, we know. And there's no way to convince people if they don't want to know. And there's no way to get people who do know to do anything about it. All it really ends up doing is emphasizing one end of this process, the, the individual uh, end of you know humans in, in, in specific positions making decisions, and totally obscures the other end, which is the structural forces that are determining those decisions. The decisions being made are not being made out of discrete plans made by people who are trying to uh, carry out their own agenda against uh, the structures of democratic governance and capitalistic economic order. They are the outgrowth of those things. I mean, they are definitely not talking about this uh, this derailment nearly to the degree that it would deserve precisely because of how bad it probably is. And there's, and there's no angle other than the conspiracy angle you can take on it. And, and that's no good. So it just has to... Uh, it just has to float. And the people who are affected get to be affected in their individual lives. And they get to, you know, get cancer or uh, die early individually in a way that can be dissipated, just like the fucking chemical cloud. But yeah, there is no, there is no plan. The thing that the, my favorite thing is the people who fixate on the World Economic Forum, and they say, "Look what they're talking about in these meetings. They're telling you what they want to do. They're telling you their plans. What they're doing is like all these fucking doofuses. They're getting together in a room to give themselves an illusion of control, to fantasize that the things that are happening uh, as a result of these systems that they are enmeshed in but subservient to carry out their algorithmically generated." agenda, and then in the backwash of those decisions, talk, uh, winding each other up that they have control. And then they get uh, uh, legions of credulous viewers and observers to go, look, look what they're doing. Because what what is being perverted is the question I have. What is, what can these systems that we have, specifically the system of private property uh, ownership, enshrined and uh, enshrined in the Constitution, enshrined in uh, the the form of capitalism that the United States has exported globally? What in that should be creating an, another outcome? What is the other thing that should be happening other than despoilation, uh, a collapse of infrastructure as money is siphoned into the private hands of investors? What, where is, where is the, the, uh, the godly agenda that these uh, globalists are perverting? There is none. This is it. And everybody within it is just trying to justify their position within it 
keep them their heads above water. Uh, a good example of this, a good example of how we look at structurally overdetermined outcomes and then sift through them to find some thread of malevolent human agency to explain what's happening uh, would be uh, that article that was in Compact Magazine this week uh, by a, uh, a left-wing uh, uh, black academic who did a uh, seminar with a bunch of... Uh, um, a diverse group of uh, high school students who are going to be going into college. And the whole thing is this very uh, bracing description of uh, this, essentially uh, a teaching assistant brainwashing a bunch of teenagers uh, with uh, hyper uh, uh, racially woke language. You know, it's the classic boogeyman. You know, this thing was like, Hey, you know that thing we're always complaining about? How the damn uh, the colleges are filled with all this uh, brainwashing? Look here, it is, and from the mouth of a left-wing black professor. So it's like, of course, nobody else published it, and ended up being in Compact Mag, which is a fucking yeah, it's a it's a piece of shit news. Uh, uh, it's a piece of shit outlet designed to catch this stuff that the left media can't really talk about no matter whether it happened or not because of the immediate uh, antibodies that, that get released as soon as something like that is said because it triggers uh, defense mechanisms because the upshot of these stories is always the same thing. The woke madness of academia. But again, even if you take this story at completely uh, at face value, this is what happened. And even if you want to say it's not an isolated incident, it's part and parcel of the experience of going to higher education at this point. Uh, the implications have nothing to do with what culture warrior types want them to be. It has, because the obvious response is we got to do something about these colleges. And we see in Florida exactly what that means in practice. We got to uh, take over the apparatus of ideological dissemination. We have to create our own. Uh, we need to create our own ideology to supplant the woke ideology of colleges. But this phenomenon, if you take it seriously, of, of uh, identitarianism run amok in in universities, only makes sense in the context of the academy as we know it fucking collapsing like these woke people are taking over colleges without any uh, is the fixation without any acknowledgement that what they're taking over is a fucking graveyard they're 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 taking over rubble the 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 higher education is as we've imagined it in this country is falling apart why because they stopped putting any money into it they stopped uh, producing scholars, they produced a shit ton of administrators to basic. They essentially bribed a generation of would-be scholars to help dismantle higher education with six-figure administrative salaries. And all of the, the the identitarian turn in universities is a bunch of people now in this moribund institution who are still obligated to bring more people into it to Pied Piper more people into a fucking uh, uh, murder sluice. You're, you're like every, every uh, class of grad students is like a bunch of fucking beeves being brought to the killing floor because there is no jobs for them. There is the, 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 the life of the mind they're imagining no longer exists, but you have to tell them that there is, you have to tell these kids who you're getting into giving uh, who, who are, Mortgaging their entire lives to get a degree which will not give them what they think it's going to. That has a psychological effect on what people, how people treat their jobs. And that sublimated 
guilt, really, about their about complicity in like a real degradation of of uh, material conditions becomes uh, exercised in performances of virtue in other places. If you've accepted the the brutal realism that the fall of the Soviet Union taught us, that there is no escape from capitalism, that there is no escape from the uh, the end of history, and you're here in academia, uh, and you're one of the lucky ones, then what are you going to do? You have to imbue something to your students. you got to tell them something. Uh, and the idea that you can awaken them to the inherent racial hierarchy in American life is very encouraging. It, it's, oh, this is, this is a thing I can uh, get across that will maybe help change things. Again, not anything I'm going to do, but maybe somebody else, maybe these kids we teach will go and do anything. Of course, what you're actually telling these kids is that any kind of real change is impossible. And the only thing that they can do is curate their own virtue. And, and uh, keep themselves above the, their heads above the moral waters. Uh, I do think it's kind of amazing when you consider that, consider how many kids going to college, right, in the last 30 years, are like uh, white kids from the suburbs who basically have probably never encountered uh, uh, minorities in any significant number growing up. Uh, and then they go to college where, you know, they're supposed to meet the world. And they are told that every encounter they're ever going to have with a, a person of a different race is going to be freighted with power dynamics and control. And there will never, there can never be real cross-racial intimacy because of the power dynamics of life in America. And then, then you send them out into the world with that. Of course, the conscious thought is, no, they're going to want to work against this discrimination and this awfulness. But the wheels of his, the, the, the mechanisms, the, the, the handles to grab have all broken off. That's another thing they learned in college. So all they take into adult life is a neurotic relationship to an other. Now, the compact mag argument is, is this is all part of some cabal, this is all part of some agenda, this is a woke mind virus, any of that idiocy. When in fact it is the inevitable result of the systemic breakdown of higher education. And at the end of it now, at this end here, when like significant, long uh, ex like huge branches of the liberal uh, studies uh, portfolio, stuff that goes back to the fucking like medieval colleges, are just dying out. Everyone now is uh, a, a neurotic mess who uh, is weaponizing identity to get over on everybody else. Of course they are. Of course they are. It's fucking cannibalism. There, there. It is a it is crabs in a bucket. Like all of our, all of our political discord disquisition exists to whistle uh, through the graveyard of systemic collapse in order to point fingers at groups of people who are only responding to the incentives of the environments they find themselves in. And it's amazing how many of the people who worship at the throne of homo economicus, who say we are all self-interested uh, agents first and foremost, that there is no sociality. Now that we act that way, they're saying, oh, woke mind virus has, has taken people's minds. Oh, it's, all, it's part of a, a Marxist, uh, cultural Marxist conspiracy. 
is people responding to incentives. So you've got a generation in colleges, for example, of just burned out, uh, 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 guilt-ridden, uh, tenured people just trying to take out their uh, their misery on others. And then the younger generation just looking for any way to stay on the fucking floating chunks of debris from the sinking ship. And of course, like that, that discourse of, of, of identity power politics is that's the only game in town there. Well, that's why I really do think the solution is not to rebuild the academy, not to reinvest in these universities, but to break the model up completely. You should be able to get an education in anything you're interested in for free in your hometown. Stuff that requires like bigger capital investment, you know, like the, the hard science and stuff, sciences and stuff, you can have for people who want to study them, you can have campuses. Uh, but the the model of, of that it's it was created really after World War II, because obviously, you know, the universities has existed for a long time, but like our modern conception of the university is a post-war product, like so much else that we live in, live with, the, the, the consequence of this anomalous moment of imperial super profit bounty as extended uh, continued daycare uh, and credential machine for this new crop of suburban kids this new uh, group of people who were, didn't want to work in the jobs that their parents did, whose parents didn't want them to work in those jobs. They wanted something better for their kids. It is really wild to think that a generation of American men went out into the world and saw some of the most hair-raising violence that you could ever imagine, the ones who survived, and then came home and were told, all right, congratulations, you saved the world for democracy. Uh, now you're never going to talk about that again. Also, democracy is uh, getting a car every year with larger tail fins. Good luck. Yes, if Henry Wallace had only won. Or I've been thinking about this. What if uh what if FDR's incredibly bad health gives out before the nineteen forty four election? Well, Henry Wallace was vice president. Because FDR was circling the drain for a while there. What if he what if his what if that vein pops? In uh, 40, you know, uh, 44, not 45. I honestly think even if that happens, Wallace gets railroaded just because the guy was, for all of his good politics, was the kind of uh, well-meaning liberal simp that traditionally gets railroaded by somebody. I think you kind of need FDR there, who at that point had... Con concentrated so much legitimacy in his person. And that would require um, somebody to invent blood pressure medication a little bit earlier than they actually did. Apparently, blood pressure medicine was uh, invented in like right after World War II. So, very close. It's very funny. Like, before FDR went on his last vacation to Warm Springs, Georgia, where he died, you know, like a hot tub or whatever. They took his blood pressure and it was like 400 over 200 or something. 
And they're just like, wow, uh, that's not good. But you know what? Maybe sitting in some, uh, maybe sitting in, in a hot tub will help. I think I got through most of what I want to say today. Uh, I did. I would like to talk here for the second half about uh, The Last of Us on HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. World's burning, and let's talk about television. Again, what else are we doing? What else are we doing with ourselves? We're not creating uh, militias. At least not any that we can talk about. Just kidding. I'm not creating any militias. But my God, we still, we still have the content, right? We still appraising content. That really is why we're here, right? Like appraising content is the American uh, modus vivendi. That is what we're here for: to absorb the content and then to render some sort of judgment on the content. And I think there is a buried hope, much like with the demand, you know, for people to open their eyes or, or talk more about crime, about uh, horrible news stories, that if enough people have the right opinion about co the content, the content will get better, which will then flow to our structures. When, of course, it's the opposite way around. The content is bad because the structures creating the content are bad and getting worse. But so, yeah, it's sad that we're talking at this point while the, 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 our own country is gassing itself, about a video game TV show. But I do think there's something interesting to say about it. So that's why I'm talking about it. Uh, for one thing, uh, I, I think it is a red alarm that the current uh, like front piece HBO show is based on a video game. I think that is a bad sign for and things in general. Um, and paradoxically makes the show more boring because the people making it are clearly aware that they made a video game show and they need to push against that. So they're draining it of any, you know, actual genre enjoyments. They're making it uh, as sort of punishing and slack as, you know, a, a tightly observed family drama even though it's supposed to be about mushroom zombies. That's another generator of uh, bad media is something that cannot examine and be honest about uh, its own nature uh, and demands to... Uh, tries to validate itself as something else. Uh, so the show is very, I think, very bad, uh, very boring, more than anything boring. Slack, that's the word I keep thinking of. Just There's no sense of any tension, any stakes. Uh, so that's my main critique of it. But the episode that came out this last weekend has a lot of people annoyed because of its treatment of these uh, revolutionaries who overthrow the evil federal government there in Kansas City. Because it does the, you know, the new boss, same as the old boss, the revolutionaries are worse than the people they overthrew thing. Uh, and people are using that to get mad at the show and mad at its creator and say, you fucking libs, what are you doing? But I think it's, I understand that, uh, I understand why they went that way. And it's because the libs are, for all their delusion, the libs who make this show are aware of one thing that a lot of uh, terminally online leftists refuse to accept, which is that the left is not a real uh, force in American politics. Like that's like one of the big things that liberals tell themselves to justify why they support mainstream liberalism, even though you know they they theoretically support all of the same goals as the left, is that the left is too weak. And that is correct. They're right about that. 
Uh, now, the right, of course, sees the left and liberalism as like one thing. And the government is like a Marxist conspiracy. That's their fantasy. Uh, so, And they're living in that cloud cuckoo land. But like the left is also living in a world where they see a show like uh, like this, and they identify themselves as the radicals who overthrow the government. But I think the liberals who make that show assume that the only people who are going to overthrow any government are the right. So they think they're helping by saying, hey, you know, revolution is bad. Don't do that. Because who's going to take over? Who's going to storm? Who literally did storm a fucking government building? Was it the left? So if you're lip making this show, you want you want to if you can communicate a message, it's hey, uh, settle down. <laughs> And also because liberals believe a thing that is a delusion that both the right and the left see through, which is that there is a depoliticized government structure that can be wielded, that, that has like its own non-political agenda that is distorted and warped by one or another ideological side, as opposed to the reality that the structures are inherently political and always being guided by a ideological agenda. Also, as someone said on Twitter, and I think they are correct, uh, the show is anti-mushroom propaganda. Uh, my wife Amber points that out. She's very correct. Mushrooms are friends. Mushrooms are our friends. You should not be telling people that mushrooms are going to fuck us up. I think a much more interesting version of this show would be one that jumps from two perspectives. One is of the grim, dark uh, apocalypse survivors, you know, fighting it out in these burned out cities, uh, trying to you know, oppose their uh, vision on the other, on one side or the other, and, and they're all shooting each other and stuff like that. Uh, and then, from the point of view of the people who have been mushroomified, who keep, who are still people, you know, they still have their humanity, they have their memories, they have their love and attachments. What they don't have is the all-consuming fear, the Reichian armoring against the other that we are all uh, enwrapped with because they would be cybernetically, naturally connected to one another. And so the show would eventually be, it would, it would be like a comedy. At the, it would eventually flip into a comedy just because you, as you went from one perspective to the other, you realize how much of the horror of, of the uh, non-mushroomed people is all self-inflicted. It, it's 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 a boot, their own boot on their own neck, because their refusal to see what's in front of them, which is the mushroom people building a harmonious society. That's the point of the second game? That's funny. Kudos. Yeah, I think sometimes of uh, the human body is a battleground, basically, between uh, fungus and cereals. Order, structure, uh, productivity, and uh, connection, vibes.
uh, it's we the human species is the tool of a planet coming into self-awareness by synthesizing its uh, two sides, the two sides of life. One of the reasons that we're doomed is that right now the uh, the fucking cereals have a fucking chokehold on us. We have been fully serialified. But it's not one or the other, of course, you know. It is a uh, it's a dialectical relationship that is worked out through human striving and eventually generates a synthesized global consciousness. The Apollonian cereals and the Dionysian fungi. Precisely. Thank you, damn boy. Put it better than I could. But I guess if I if I if if I have hope, it's it's because because this is a uh, this is not uh, we are not at the end of anything because nothing ends. The process is an unfolding, and even if the end never com the end never comes, but the Imagined end is eternally present. And we humans, the human consciousness, is the is the agent of this process. Because we, we carry within our minds the, uh, the, the, the vision, the possibility, the, the, the ghost of the totality. So yeah, the HBO, of course, tool of the serial lobby, tool of the serial uh, side. And like, there's a lot of attempts to externalize these this this uh, dynamic with dreams of you know warring sects of uh, the ruling elite or alien species that are battling for the human spirit. It's it's not any of that. It's us. It's us as part of a whole coming into recognition of that reality, battling through it, moving through stages of understanding.
one of the most interesting ideas that they get at in uh, Dawn of Everything without getting into it at all. They just sort of mention it in passing and don't emphasize it anymore. Is that uh, ancient Egyptian civilization, you know, as we know it, the, the, the pharaohs and, and all that, uh, was p- potentially started as a way to uh, foster cereal production specifically for beer. And they, they say, uh, grab, grab girl claim. Like it was because, you know, it was needed to, uh, uh, this was like the food of the gods, the drinks of the gods and that we needed, they needed to make it to, you know, appease them. And then it was that cereal production, uh, relationship that then structured their society, that fixed it and grounded it. And that is sort of like, it's, it's the grain's relationship to the human mind, thanks to you know, our consumption of it as cereals, but even more importantly as alcohol, is like uh, toxoplasmosis. Yeah, grains domesticated humans. That's the that's the thesis that has been advanced many times. And these cereals like trained humans to make them to plant in a line to harvest to 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 introduce a uh, rigid concept of time and a a rigid hierarchy of responsibilities, uh, uh, separation of labor in order to facilitate the creation of these cereals. Now, of course, you know, you could say, oh, the bad guy is bad. This is bad. No, of course, it's not bad. It It is inevitable. It's necessary. It's part of the process. We could not come into any understanding of anything without building these uh, enduring social structures that could generate art, that can generate uh, knowledge, that can be shared, disseminated. But if it's if it's the only thing that is. Uh, fueling your social structure, then it will eventually destroy itself to maintain its hierarchies, which it imagines as inviolable and inherent and holy and necessary and not contingent, not uh, the product of a failure, a, a greater failure to recognize connection. So that's why you got the the push and pull of the of the of the the fungus and the and the cereals, and human society grows, struggles, creates, destroys itself, rises again, leaving a residue that is then picked through, that is added to a, gre- a greater race memory storehouse of experience and knowledge and encounter. Toward what end? We can't know because we're in the middle of it. But the fact that we're aware of it, the fact that we're all here experiencing it, it always suggests to me that it has happened and is always happening uh, and that our experiences are essentially suspended within it.
Maybe we'll become crab-like. I kind of think we're going to merge with the octopuses, though. You need, you need the octopuses and the crabs to get together because the problem with the octopi is that they don't live long enough. And uh, crustaceans live hella long. Human-animal hybrids. The youth in the chat might not remember this, but uh, George, H., George W. Bush got really a hair up his ass about the potential for human-animal hybrids. He was very, he was always sounding the alarm that human-animal hybrids were something that was going to happen in the near future and that we needed to in, uh, do interventions to prevent. He used to say this at like the State of the Union address. And now, 15 years later, I got to assume that we're making progress on the human-animal hybrids, and yet there is no, no one out there decrying them. Also, George W. Bush, he's just painting, he's just out there dicking around painting uh, soldiers. Why isn't he still out there talking about human-animal hybrids? But you got to remember the context. This was around the time of the, the cloning of Dolly the sheep, and also the stem cell war, which is one of the most baffling culture war pr uh, precursors when you look at from the standpoint of the current moment. Like that was culture war in the aughts, was stem cells. And I think that the, the one of the thing one of the reasons that we don't talk about them anymore is because the science is progressed to that they're largely unnecessary. Ah, yes, Terry Schiavo. That was another one. It's wild. It's wild. All of this, by the way, at the same time that we were fighting a global war on terror that was an existential conflict that could have led to America being destroyed at any given moment. We were still worried about this one lady in Florida and whether or not she was going to uh, be put to sleep. It was a crazy time, folks. Because the because uh, all you got was this stuff in uh, top-down media streams. Because there was no social media. I mean, there were blogs and forums, but that was it. You did not have that kind of uh, collective hive mind. Uh, the un... Uh, the unmonitored um, United States customer service line that is contemporary social media. So as a result, it felt much more, you felt like a, he, a, a cultural hegemony on you in a way that now you get to pick between hegemonies. And you get to have a rooting interest. You get to manage your alienation by yeah, imagining uh, opposition within the greater hegemony and then you know rooting for one or the other, as opposed to just this one thing that was just dropped on your, on your face in the Bush years. I haven't seen the Day of the, Day of the Locust, but I have read the Nathaniel West novella that it's based on. 
which features a character known as named Homer Simpson and a uh, climactic riot where all of the uh, downtrodden losers uh, of L.A. burned down the, the movie colony. Oh, man. Rock against Bush. That was pretty awesome. If I remember correctly, the cover for that had a cartoon of Bush, like, holding his ears. Like, he couldn't handle the rock. This rock is too much. It's going to blow my head off. But again, I think a lot of people were trained during that era, I know I was, to believe in, like, the the subversive power of, of media precisely because it felt like there was such a a pro-war reactionary hegemony operating. And then we kind of carried that faith into the the social media era and uh, didn't really care to notice that, oh, all of this media consumption just gets absorbed and, and and all this energy gets diffused. And that what we thought was one hegemony, actually, it could be almost infinitely divided as the technology exists to allow for different streams and different uh, bubbles to be uh, enjoyed within it. The one piece of anti-Bush media that I I really rocked with was this... uh, (laughs) For the 2004 election, uh, McSweeney's, if anyone remembers McSweeney's, they put out a CD. It was like the future, and, the, and a book to go with it, The Future Dictionary of America. I never read The Future Dictionary. It was like, it was a, it was very embarrassing, even at the time. Uh, it was just a bunch of, uh, def, it, it was imagining a Bush-free future where we kind of cleansed ourselves of all these national demons that the Bush era had, had conjured and, and it was like a better, brighter future is exactly what Obama ended up embodying for many people, including myself, but it also had a CD and it had a bunch of songs on it that were uh, meant to uh, rock uh, indie rock against Bush. Basically. I remember there was a, uh, there's a David Byrne song on there. Uh, There was a cover of the John Prine song, Sam Stone. This time, you know, it's about, the conflict overseas is now uh, Iraq and not Vietnam. But the one song on there that has always stuck with me is this uh, Clem Snide song called The Ballad of David Icke, or Ike, however you fucking pronounce it. The English uh, lizard person guy. Uh, the secret rulers of the world have stolen my girl. That one I remember. That Of all those things on that album, that's the one that has stuck with me because... That's the one that like got deeper than just like Bush is a chimp, you know. That's the one that spoke to uh, a thing that eventually became a dominant cultural vocabulary of lizards, of secret cabals, of demons orchestrating things from behind the scenes. But even then, I gotta say for myself, I was never attracted to that as a literal description or as a heuristic for identifying mal, uh, bad actors. To me, it more spoke to the fact that to hold a high position in a system like we have is to be turned into a lizard, is to have your humanity, your, your basic human connection, drained of you. Not that you are part of some immortal race that is directing human affairs, but that you're a human among humans who is brought into a position of lizardness, of where, the, where your blood has to turn cold in order to 
carry out the agenda, which is inhuman, which is reptilian, but not carried in any mind or heart of any biological entity, but in the very sinews of commerce, media, governance, the world system itself. But this is, like, even though the lizard thing is a great metaphor and can make you think about institutions in a meaningfully critical way, what happens if you use that metaphor enough? It becomes literal. And then you have to start looking for the reptilians. And you have to start trying to uh, justify your faith in the existence of reptiles. And all of your, uh, all anything meaningful gets lost in the noise. Because what do people want to hear? Do they want to hear that their institutions have enslaved them? The, the, or that there are lizard people out there in positions who can be overturned. That the institutions we have are being perverted and warped. And they can be reclaimed. That the Constitution can be reasserted in all of its glory. As though the Constitution is not what all of this, all the horror that we see around us, all of this is the manifestation of the basic code of the Constitution, which is a theological enshrinement of property rights. That is what the Constitution is, and that is what we are living in. We are living in the hell of proper, private property rights as the only enshrined sacred uh, relationship. Nothing else is real. Property is real. Property ownership is real. Everything is, sub is in the thrall of that. And all the things that conspiracy people point to as perversions of the constitutional order from the establishment of the Federal Reserve to the assassination of John F. Kennedy, all the response to 9-11, all of that stuff is not a perversion of the constitutional order. It is the organic outgrowth, the organic response of this system to changing conditions, changing uh, more people, you know, is the big one. Just as the country gets bigger and the complexity of governing it increases as the technological capacity of governance increases these things sprout up we need a federal reserve uh, the gold will not cut it anymore boom we get one uh oh we're going to be a globe bestriding colossus and we're going to impose capitalism on the rest of the world well then we can't depend on democratic accountable institutions to carry that out that is not efficient enough Boom, we get a security state. All of these things exist. They emerge to reinforce and protect the central imperative of the constitutional order. And for me, the big problem I have with every stripe of conspiracy person and the populist uh, concept in general is that almost always is embedded within it is a faith in the constitutional order as the bedrock of like real human liberty that has been perverted by bad actors. And if you think that, then your plan to defeat the bad actors will only end up reinforcing the very structures that allow them and in fact mandate them to do what they do. It's not corruption, though, is the thing. I think thinking about it in corru as corruption implies there is something to corrupt. There was never anything that, to corrupt. All the stuff that we think of as the virtue stuff, it's ad copy. It was never actually enshrined in our institutions. It's animated people who worked within those institutions. They genuinely believed in it in different ways, but 
they were constrained in how they could express that belief by the institutional straitjacket of the of our political system. Like it has to be revolutionarily uprooted. Or failing that, superseded by others in other places in other times, having other experiences who are not enchanted the way we are. All right, folks. See you on the flippity flop. Talk next week. I keep promising I'll finish the second three-body problem book. I think I'm like uh, halfway done. Might have it done for next week. We'll see. Bye-bye.